In this conversation, I sit down with Sinan El-Mukhtar about his experience living during the first Gulf War at the age of eight, as he watched his mother give birth to his twin siblings. And after Sinan shared that story about living through the first Gulf War, he told me that he had actually not talked about this experience since he was eight years old. This is actually a very common way of enduring these moments of suffering in the Middle East. We often don't talk about war or the people we lost or kind of the fear that we had. And we often use sarcasm to deal with suffering. I remember that my dad, uh, they asked all doctors, all healthcare providers, not only doctors actually, like they were forced to join uh, all hospitals because they were expecting like um, like casualties, especially like if you're a surgeon, if you're like any like nurse, surgeon, ER doctor, it's wartime. Any physician, like they asked all physicians, all healthcare providers, like to join their hospitals, even if they're civilians. Um, my mom, just because she just gave birth. We have maternity leave in Iraq, so she was under VAT. They didn't ask her to go back to the hospital. But my dad, we and at that time, keep in mind, like, um, like we didn't have like even the phone lines. Everything went down. So my, when my dad would come, we would see him for a day, and then he would go away for like two, three weeks, and then come back. And we had no way to check on my dad. That was the scariest part. It went, went, you can't check on your relatives, you can't check on your friends because the lines were down. So that's the scary part. We just hear, hear rumors, oh, that neighborhood, that area was was targeted yesterday and there was bombing there, bombing here. And keep in mind, um, um, like, again, like no electricity, <laughs> no communications, just rumors. You hear it mouth to mouth. I, I think that was the scary part, especially for my mom. For me, I was eight. Like, I was happy, no school. But thinking back, like, my mom was, like, it, it was a horrible time for her. She just gave birth. She was by on her own. And, it, yeah, uh, there was n- no way to communicate with the rest of the family. Wow, yeah. I mean, if you were to ask your mom, you know, what was going on in her head at the time, giving birth to two kids, actually twins on top of it, which is a lot of work in itself, um, and then not knowing where her husband is for so many weeks at a time. I can imagine. Did you talk to other family members or other people in the community who were able to help you? Or, I mean, did you did this bring you closer to your community or did you feel like you just, you know, remember being locked down? So it's mainly lockdown, to be honest. I was allowed to go out like uh, we had like a, a big garden. So I was allowed to invite other kids to come and play in our house. It's OK. People like kids are from the streets, like from our neighborhood. Uh, they were allowed to come in. I was not allowed to leave the house. But uh, yeah, like no electricity. There is nothing else to do. We were playing soccer most of the time. And uh I remember like probably a month after like the the like the real start of the war my dad came and he was talking about like 
robberies and like like neighborhoods not being too safe. So probably the best approach for all of us to leave, like leave our house, lock everything and just leave. And uh, we went to a province south of, of Baghdad. We went to Karbala. And um, my uh, my family, we have like um, orchards. So it's a huge like uh, like land for agriculture and stuff. And has like, a, let, let's say a huge ranch with a house in the middle. So no one would, <laughs> would reach you there. And besides, there is no shortage of anything like water, food. We know the neighbors, we know the people. So we ended up like literally going like to that farmhouse in the countryside, just like to make sure that, oh, we had a generator at that time over there in the farm. So like we will just stay there till we make sure Baghdad is safe again. So he came for, I remember a few days, we took only like the most important documents, money, whatever, like valuables, we can just put in the car. And then we went to the countryside and my dad, like, I think he stayed for a few hours with us. Uh, and a couple of uh, like families, like uh, our relatives joined us there. And then my dad had to leave and go back to the hospital. Wow. Um, I'm just thinking about your mom again in how she would have been feeling during this time. Did you ever talk to her about it? Did you ever maybe talk to your siblings? I'm sure that they were too young, but sometimes you remember these things if there's a lot of trauma. Just curious if you ever had a conversation with your mom. Um, you know, for them, uh, Yasmin, it's, it's, it's very tough because you know, like Iraq had had a war in the seventies before I was born, a war in the eighties, a war in the nineties, a war in two thousand three. So all their lives, like it's been really tough. And the, the, like when I talk to my mom about these days, and I admire her courage, like and like how hard it, I'm sure. Like, I can't remember the, the feelings and I don't think we talked about this subject specifically, but like just thinking about like, like the hardship and like how, how difficult it was for her, it, 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 it drives me nuts. But for her, she always like, she's sarcastic about this. Like she's sarcastic because she said like, we've been through that many times like in Iraq and now we're it's sad to say that, but people get their way of coping with it or like, I, I don't want to say desensitized because no way you can be desensitized when it comes to such like big emotional things. And you're worried about your loved ones. You're worried about your family. You just gave birth to to like two babies and you don't know what's going to happen. Where is your husband? And, and, you know, like in Iraq, like it's like we reached that point. I, I remember this clearly as man. Like I remember we had like so much cash at home, but there were no stores to buy food from. Everything was closed. So it, money meant nothing. You know, you would expect like if you have money, probably you would be in better shape. 
but money meant nothing like at least for the first couple of weeks. Then like, you know, like you would find things like probably tenfolds more expensive, but money meant nothing at the start of the war. People were so scared. And even for my dad, sometimes he would like, for example, like he would be, he would have time. He want to come, but there is no fuel. Like everything was shut down. Everything like no gas stations, no electricity, no communications. So when I talk to my mom about these days, she's, she's always sarcastic. She was like, we saw worse than that. But I, I remember like the story, like when she came home and she was telling me and my aunt about this, that like she was like the day she was giving birth, there was an explosion right next to the hospital and they had no glass, like no windows. So she thought it's, it's much safer. Like even though she just gave birth, she was in a bad like health condition. It's much safer. She would go home and she would take care of herself or like find someone to take care of her than staying in the hospital because what what if like the bombing like like reached another part of the hospital and the the hospital itself it's in the like center of baghdad so i i don't want to say they were targeting the hospital like uh but probably something near the hospital or you never know do you remember like what was specifically targeted in the first gulf war you know did you remember, um, was it mostly buildings, um, where there's, you mentioned neighborhoods. I imagine like there are a number of neighborhoods that were taken down, but yeah, if you, if you could share, just curious, cause I think so many people don't understand what it's like to live in a war zone and what it's like to come of age in a war zone and, you know, what it's like to be on the receiving end of maybe a very unequal war. So I'd love for you to comment on, on what that was like. And also, you know, I vaguely remember that the sanctions were happening, uh, you know, sometime around the, not that time, but right after. So I'm, I'm curious if you could also speak to that. So, um, like targets wise, like the, regarding the first question, Yasmin, I don't remember much, uh, because again, I was eight, so I can't remember details of like what was exactly targeted, but I know that, um, when, when the army was withdrawing uh, from Kuwait, like they were coming back to Iraq, they had no defense, like air defenses. And we had, I think we had no planes or like few planes in Iraq or something. So anyway, like they were easy targets uh, and many soldiers decided it's much safer for them to just walk back. And when I say walk back, we're talking about 600 like kilometers. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, because like the, like army vehicles were not safe. They were targeted. Like, so people like soldiers, especially like, I don't know about officers. And the only reason why I remember this story specifically, because I remember, uh, the, um, like later on when I was like a teenager, um, like uh, we, we used to go like to this, um, like social club and the bartender used to tell us stories, like, like his story of walking back 
from Kuwait to Baghdad, walking 600 kilometers. Um, the guy it was not like he was so traumatized. And everyone, I, I, I remember like everyone was so nice to him because like he can't handle any stress. Wow. So, yeah, but so that's your first, like the first question. And uh, can you remind me what was the second question? Yeah. So the second question is about the sanctions. Do you remember living through the sanctions or when they took place and how they affected your day to day? It's so interesting to me that you know, it sounds like there's just a sense of enduring, you know, that, you know, and you talk about your mom's sarcasm, which is so popular and common amongst uh, the Iraqi diaspora and Iraqi communities. I think that, you know, and that's probably true for like most of the Middle East, there's a lot of sarcasm and a lot of jokes. And I think it's, it's really to, um, to be able to endure, you know, and to just not let the, the suffering, um, kind of in the, and the tougher moments in life get to you and to just, you know, take things with stride. That's been at least my assessment. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's like very, like it's a very common defense mechanism among Iraqis. Um, not my generation. I, I, even though like I witnessed these two wars, but I honestly, I don't think like I suffered as much as my parents. When you talk to my parents, like my dad, for example, um, like when he talks about like the um, like the the Iraqi Iranian war, the eight years war, like you, you, you Yasmin, you 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 would be shocked, like the kind of stories you would hear, like when you talk to my grandma, for example, like like so my grandma had had four kids, uh, four um, like boys, okay, my dad and three uncles. And they were, four of them were drafted, you, you know, like I, I swear to God, when, I remember when she told me the story, like I, like, can you imagine like she has only four boys and four of them were drafted, four of them are doctors, by the way. So they had nothing to do with military. They were so civilian and four of them were drafted. And like to be like in the active military, not only doctors in the military. So she said, I, I still remember, uh, may she rest in peace. She, she, she used to say that for eight years of war, I was wearing black because I don't know when I'm going to hear one of them like died for eight years. And like w w w when you think about it, like. Every time they let one of them like end his service, she would be so happy, but she still think about the, the other three, you know, like, and then like the second one and then the third one and then the fourth one. But so that again, like, I'm sorry, like, I know you're probably not interested in, in the eighties, but I'm just saying like that kind of hardship they faced. So that's why probably the sarcasm is like, you never know, it might get worse. So let's live now and see what's going to happen. Hmm, that's powerful. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a really tough uh, situation to see all your children drafted and, and then just to be in war for so long, right? From, you know, one decade Eight to the years. next. Yeah, yeah. And then right after that, the first Gulf War. Um, do you remember, I guess, you know, what 
was happening politically, like what you remember um, maybe was happening, you know, with, with the party, like what you were told. It's just interesting because I've heard that, you know, the, the media, since it was controlled so much, um, the, what was shared with the Iraqi civilians and Iraqi community on TV was very different than what was happening outside of the country. What was your, yeah, what was your perception? So um, I can't remember the first Gulf War, but the second Gulf War, um, we had electricity, we had communications, we had TV. Um, like the day Baghdad was fallen, I was in the hospital with my dad. And we had electricity until the same day, the same day, U.S. soldiers were in Baghdad airport. The government were saying we're victorious and we're going to win this war and we're going to teach them a lesson. Till like, like I would say till the, the last day before they take over like the like the transmission like uh, with the national iraq tv till the last day like we were we were being told that we're victorious and we did this we did that and uh, like i'm i'm not sure if you saw that scene before in any documentary but i think uh al-sahaf which was um the guy who's responsible for the media and propaganda and stuff like that in Saddam's um, regime. This guy went to the airport and he was saying, hey, look at me. Uh, like they were shooting at the airport and there was, he was saying, filming at the airport and he was saying, like, look at me, I'm at the airport. They're saying they took over the airport. And it, now now it's funny because like when, when I watch the documentaries about what happened, they were Americans were literally in another part of the airport while they were filming. And so <laughs> we were like the misleading was so much, you, you know, um, what's the name of that novel? Um, you know, the, the, the novel 1948. Oh yeah. George Orwell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like exactly. Like it's exactly what it is, you know, like the kind of like propaganda it's it was crazy, but but we had no other way to know what's happening. Like a couple of my uncles at that time, they were outside Iraq, like in the second Gulf War, and uh, after a very very nice experience with the first one. So um, we like even when they call us, we're so scared to say anything or ask anything because. Everyone is so worried that, you know, your phones are being like monitored or like they're going to listen to you. And if you say something you should not have said, probably you're going to go to prison or even worse, being executed. So that kind of propaganda was was crazy. It it was so bad that um, in, in our household, like. In our living room, my dad, if he wanted to say something about Saddam, he wouldn't mention his name. <laughs> he would say that that, that guy. You, you know yeah. how bad it is? <laughs> like you're in your you're in your living room and still you don't dare to say something about Saddam. Yeah, I mean, life under a dictatorship, right? Um, wow, you have to get creative, I guess, to communicate. Oh, yeah. 
Sinan, I have so many other questions and I know that we're coming up at time. I have two more questions I wanted to ask you because I think there's so interesting. There's so many cool stories here to just, well, I wouldn't say cool stories, but just like stories that like, I think remind us of our humanity really. Um, there's, you know, you spoke a little bit at the beginning, uh, about seeing two of your, uh, classmates get shot on their way to, was it to, to class or hospital, the hospital uh, it was, yeah, in medical school. So can you tell us a little bit more about maybe why that happened and was it happening on a larger scale? And then I want to transition into your experience of moving to the United States and what it's been like for you. Uh, and you know what what the experience of being a, a hyphenated American has been. So to answer the first question, um, I I don't understand why doctors were targeted, but I would say uh, most of my family in healthcare, and it's a very it, it used to be a very very common thing. The way we think about it or thought about it at that time that they were doctors are usually like the community would know the doctor. So when you're targeting someone that people know and needs, you're creating some kind of chaos in the community. Probably that's the whole idea. But for some reason, doctors were targeted. And um, my medical school and like later on, like the hospital that I work for, it's um, it's called like Baghdad Medical City, which is like the most advanced tertiary center in in Baghdad, um, next to um, like the, like Baghdad um, like University uh, Medical School. So across the we're on the river, right on the river on Tigris, and across the river, uh, there is this neighborhood called Haifa, Shabat Haifa, Haifa Streets. And um, there were many non-Iraqi and Iraqi militias who are anti-America and anti-new government. They were for the previous regime. And they were sniper, like they, they used like, um, like I think some kind of like, snipers or something i don't know what it is but literally across the river when they see someone wearing a white coat they would target him or her so like what we used to do because they can see us you know like daylight so i would i would like carry uh like a small backpack that has my scrubs and my white coat and i won't change till i'm inside the hospital and what we had to do, because the hospital facing the river, we had to close all the curtains within the hospital that's facing the river because we were scared of the snipers across the river. Um, because all these, uh, like, I won't say high-rise buildings. I would say, like, probably, like, six, seven floors buildings. Lots of snipers who were trying to, like, shoot at doctors thinking that the hospital is helping keeping the, the, the country together and that they didn't want things to calm down and things to get better. So targeting doctors, I think, or at least like 
that's the only thing that makes sense in my head. Um, they were trying to make a chaos. Wow. That's terrifying on so many levels. Um, yeah. So wow. I'm sorry. Um, just like regarding these two guys, one of them, uh, passed away. Unfortunately, it was really sad. I knew him. Uh, um, and we ended up like when we graduated, we called like that year. Um, we named it after his name. Um, so we would choose a name for each, you know, like each, like uh, when people graduate medical school, like, for example, you say class like 2019, 2018, we called it uh, like we put like his name next to the year, uh, for this, the first one. And the second one, uh, thank God, like it was, he, he got wounded. Like, um, and I, I think, um, they shot his, him in the shoulder and we were able like to take him to the emergency room and he was stated and I'm, I'm not sure he left Iraq too, by the way, I think he's in Sweden now or somewhere, but yeah. The, yeah. Hmm. What was the name of uh, your class? Uh, Ali Abdel Jalil, the guy who passed away. Hmm. Wow. So Sinan, I want to, um, you know, move into like your journey into America and also what it's been like now. I mean, you said, I believe that you came to the United States in 2010. Um, so you've been here for about 11 years and yeah. What, what has it been like for you to kind of contrast your experience and now as a, I guess, hyphenated American, um, what is it, what has that been like? So, um, again, like I didn't spend all the 11 years here. I've been going back and forth, uh, between us and middle East. Um, I traveled a lot as well. I've been to many places for work and backpacking, but, um, I, 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 I just want to say something as an immigrant here in the in us when, when I, when I wait, at that time, like when I was weighing, like which country to go to, I had this really, really good image, like perfect image about us. The more I'm living here and the more I learn and I understand what's happening, like when, when I'm looking at, so, you know, I live in Chicago, for example. And when you see how segregated the city is, when you look at so many like social determinants of health here in the city, when you see like what happened last year, like with Black Lives Matters, like when you see like there is so much to be done in US. 